0: America Meditating Radio. I'm your host, Sister Jenna. We're broadcasting from the Meditation Museum in Silver Spring today. I hope today finds you well and thriving and looking for your best next thought to take you to that dimension of yourself that's just in a state of truth. You know, they always say that where there's truth, you will be set free. And I begin to realize that if anything disturbs my spirit, it's my own signal that there's something within me that's untruthful. And I need to find out where that is in me or what aspect of my personality that I might be missing in which I'm not serving honestly. This morning in the meditation class at the museum, there was a discussion that came up about just the difficulty of looking at people with that eye of real perfection And a few in the class were sharing that it was difficult. And I remember thinking to myself that, was that difficult for me or is it easy? And I found that it wasn't really an issue for me, but about 30 seconds later, I was able to identify where I seemed to get affected. And it was through another portal, but it wasn't about me dealing with not looking at people beautifully, but it was in another area. So the point that I'm making is even if like in one area you seem unfazed by anything that someone might do to you, you might find that there's another area that is your storehouse of your emotional debris or your emotional suffering. And you have to ask yourself, in what way are you volunteering in supporting that suffering in your personality? Because there's also a part of us that is absolutely free, that is absolutely free And profoundly ready to live life easily, purely, and peacefully. And I know that for me, I'm feeling it so much, this urge and this call to really reach that level of spiritual integrity, which is really the original nature of the soul. It's not about spirituality to feel that you're better than anyone else. It's just that spiritual integrity that this is who I am, and this is how I'm showing up. Mm-hmm. Well, I hope my thoughts for the day helped you out. I know that they've been very real to me today, so you've got me one of those very, very real moments, <laughs> and hopefully I have a lot more to share. But today, I'm really excited to welcome our next guest. I'll be introducing somebody very interesting that I really want to know more about. Shai Dibali is a leading authority in the field of self-development and self-empowerment in his writings and teachings he skillfully combines psychology philosophy yogic traditions and eastern thought and practices into powerful processes of inner transformation shai has authored 23 books which have been published internationally and they've received awards as well in the us and israel some have become even bestsellers inspiring many thousands on their inner journeys of mental emotional and spiritual transformation He's a trained yogi with 18 years of study in the field of Eastern thought and yogic traditions, and he has also become one of Europe's experts in the field of subtle bodies, more specifically, the ancient chakra system. He also manages the Human Greatness Center in Berlin, Germany, where he's calling us from today, and he also leads silence retreats and workshops. Welcome, Shai. Nice to have you on air today.
1: Hello, Sister Jenna.
0: I'm delighted to speak to you. Well, I'm going to greet you with a shalom and a namaste and an om shanti. <laughs> How is that? <laughs> thank you. Thank you.
1: Shalom and all the rest, yes.
0: <laughs> so you were a journalist and a columnist once in Israel's major newspapers and one of its leading radio stations as well. But what changed you, Shai? Like, What led you onto this path of being more internally reflective? How did it all start for you?
1: Well, in an almost, I would say, unconscious way, I started to be drawn to the concept of spiritual enlightenment. I just uh, went to study Transcendental Meditation to be relieved of my social fears. And then the the teacher talked about uh, spiritual enlightenment, where you feel complete unity with uh, all that is, with the cosmos. And then something in me just recognized that. And I started a journey both in India and in Israel following uh, certain spiritual teachers until at the age of 23, there was a certain shift that was evidently irreversible because ever since that has become a stable condition or a stable reality.
0: Mm-hmm. Was it like could you remember the thought? You know, Shy, there's this feeling almost like you get an injection yeah. that just starts to wake you up. It's like something at a deeply soul level just starts to go, Wait You know, what am I doing? You know, it's like this awakening that comes over you and you can't even stop it when it happens. You know, you just like you start to become like an addict. You need more. You need more. You need more, you know?
1: Mm. Yes, that is clear. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It it was just at the age of 23, actually, exactly, I would say 19 years ago. I'm sorry, uh, 20 years ago. And it was just when I participated in, in my guru's birthday celebration and I was sitting from afar and was watching the entire celebration for them something asked, it was completely effortless and without uh, the volition of the self, something asked, but what is looking through these eyes? Where is that self that is looking? And then there was a uh, turning back and looking into the source of the self and there was nothing. And this space exploded at, at that moment and then uh, became just like uh, a drop that carried within it uh, the entire universe, it just became the universe. So uh, so it spread, it spread more and more to include the entire visible world, and, uh, and that was the beginning of an unending ecstasy. Let's talk about the field of
0: subtle bodies, and more specifically, the ancient chakra systems, which is something that I haven't been able to go deep into yet, intellectually. Mm. I do know they exist, but for those of us who are still trying to learn more about it, what is the chakra system and does it really impact our lives or how does it impact our lives?
1: Mm, that's, that's a very good question uh, because people who are very cynical about the existence of uh, chakras, for, for instance, they always say, even people who are completely secular and scientifically oriented, uh, they say, my heart feels broken or that I feel a suffocation in my throat, or that uh, there I feel butterflies in my stomach. So obviously, we all have a sort of a direct communication with, with our chakra system, because it is clear that no one's heart has been really broken physically, but uh, still we feel something at the lower base of our chest that, that has been split, so to speak. And... This means that uh, chakras, as uh, in their state of imbalance, uh, are a very simple and straightforward reality for all of us. And uh, therefore, they are actually the most primordial or the, the most uh, physical connection that we can initiate with our subtle body and with uh, the invisible realities. So whatever the chakras outline as a map for psychological development, a map for spiritual transformation is actually extremely intuitive. As soon as we begin to learn about the chakras, we realize that our very physicality resonates with this kind of teaching.
0: So isn't all of that connected to the nature of the soul? Like, for example, when I think about the chakras, I think about whatever I am experiencing as a soul, known to me or unknown to me. As you know, the average human being, I think, houses like seventy to 80,000 thoughts per day. I I keep getting it confused if it's per hour or per day. I'm I'm going to clarify that Mm. at some point. But (laughs) the fact that we are not cognizant of most of those thoughts aren't those playing a role in the way the chakras are functioning? Aren't my thoughts dictating the way the chakra system in the body is working or is there a separate functioning ability going on?
1: Mm, Yeah, that is correct. At the same time, we could think of our thoughts as uh, the mental projections or the mental extensions of certain imbalances within our chakra system which means that many of our thoughts, which only pretend to be uh, rational and uh, logical, are actually uh, driven by by deeper forces of what uh, in the yogic tradition we call uh, vrittis, uh, all kinds of uh, tendencies and also vasanas, which are the deeply imprinted, deep-seated mm-hmm. impressions that, that we have in us that are uh, unconscious. And then what we have as our Continuous, uninterrupted stream of contradictory thinking is in mm-hmm. reality bundle of unresolved impulses, urges, and uh, and impressions. Yes,
0: yes. We call that in Sanskrit sanskaras. You know, I was I wanted to clarify my statement earlier, everyone, mm. because experts are estimating that between 60 to 80 thousand thoughts are streaming in our consciousness per day, but That means it's about maybe 25 to 3,500 thoughts per hour. You think about when you're concentrating on one thing. Let's say if you have to cook a meal or fix a tire on a car or reprogram a computer, just imagine. But here's the best part of this because according to the National Science Foundation, an average person, you know, not only has all those thoughts per day the sixty to 80,000, but of those, 80% are wasteful or negative, and 95% Mm. of those thoughts are repetitive. And so when it comes Mm. on to really looking at our lives and seeing how we're living it, I'd love if you can talk about your book because you've written so many, but let's talk about the one called (laughs) Unlocking the Seven Secret Powers of the Heart. Because I know that there's Mm -hmm. so much sitting in our hearts, and our thoughts are also revealing that, known or unknown to us. So tell us a little bit about the book. Were you able to give us some tools that can really help us to unblock this heart that might be hurting?
1: Yes. uh, Well, that that, that was uh, basically my aim, uh, to, to shift. The, the center of gravity uh, to shift uh, what we identify as our innermost or our seat of authenticity and selfhood from, from the head, which as you say is, is completely overthinking, completely overloaded, uh, to the center of the chest. And uh, forgive me for being so physical, but it is actually so. Even if we just focus on placing our being on within the, the chest area, that is already a deep shift because we are literally draining the energy that has been uh, misused at the level of the head and beginning to, let, let's say, hand it to the true governor of our being, which is the heart. And you mentioned before the element of the soul. And one of things that we should know about the heart is that it is exactly our connector to our soul. It is uh, connected as if by a thread to the soul. And therefore, it is also connected to something that is very different from thinking, which is knowing. So when we rely on our mind, on our head, to provide us with the answers to life's greatest questions, for instance, we find out that the mind becomes extremely confused and it begins to deliver so many contradictory thoughts while not being able to know really anything. And that is why it is also so prone to doubt and to inconfidence while trying to pretend that it knows. So when we begin to place our being in the heart, we realize that it has never been the mind's job to provide us with all these answers because Deep Mm -hmm. within our heart, we know. We also, and and this knowing is connected deeply to remembrance. This is not an acquired knowledge, but it is something that we already know and just need to uncover. That's fantastic.
0: So in your book, you say that the way Western culture approaches the heart is surprisingly dual in nature and contradictory.
1: How so? Well, this is because on the one hand, we scientifically claim as a, as a society, as a civilization that is scientifically uh, oriented, we claim that there is nothing there, there is nothing in the chest. On the other hand, we speak endlessly as a human culture for thousands of years about the reality of the heart as our innermost being. So we write poems about it, we write songs about it, and we speak continuously about the experience of our heart even great philosophers do that, that it is questionable whether we know something that our mind doesn't permit us to acknowledge, you see? (laughs) Hmm.
0: So, then, let me see if I could take us, um, continue to travel down this journey of depth. We are souls. We are souls. And inside of the soul, there is the faculty of consciousness and subconsciousness, or you might say mind and intellect you know, awareness and just thoughts. So let's say that when you're being honest with yourself, your mind and intellect is working perfect, then I could feel like for me, my heart just starts to flow. But when something in my thinking or in my feelings, my intellect's not being truthful to myself or my mind is running me rampant and my intellect doesn't have enough strength to shift or change what I'm going through, I can feel my heart really getting tight. It gets tight. And I think one of the things that I try to observe, and maybe you can help me as well, is, you know, you drink water and it comes out. You eat food, it comes out. But when hurt comes into the heart, it's not so easy to come out. Do you have a particular method that can help our listeners to at least reduce the hurt that might be inside of our hearts?
1: Well, there, there are several methods, of course, and that is why uh, I wrote this book to supply the readers with as many pathways of uh, accessing their heart as possible. But first of all, I would like to, to answer that more generally. The greatest method, and that is what, what we can call the ultimate method, is keeping our heart open even when it hurts. You see, what happens is, uh, here in, in this realm is that there is a, a very different Two strategies. One is the tr- strategy of the mind and the other one is of the heart. And the strategy of the mind is that whenever we feel hurt we close our heart, we wall it up and to prevent the hurt from happening. The mind is confident that this strategy uh, keeps the heart uh, protected. But actually what it uh, causes is that with time we begin to, to feel more and more vulnerable. We actually become hypersensitive. Anything that, that might happen, any kind of even the smallest insult makes us think for continuously about that insult and our disappointment and even sense of victimhood. But when we begin to realize that our heart is a canon, is meant to, to contain any kind of event, that our heart is bigger than any event, then we literally open it up. There is, by the way, in terms of chakra system, there is a very simple way to do that, even physically. And this is imagining like the, that the energy that has withdrawn into or sent uh, into the center of our chest, we transform the direction to allow the chakra, the heart chakra, to face the world. That means that, that the heart chakra flowers outwardly to agree to accept the hurt. And as soon as we are willing to accept the hurt and whatever disappointment, we realize that in and Open condition, the heart cannot really get hurt in the sense that it cannot get imprinted. Our condition right now is that our heart has been countlessly imprinted with disappointment. And as a result, we have all kinds of conclusions, like I will never trust again. I will never open up my heart again, only under certain conditions. So when you open the heart completely unconditionally, you are even willing to experience the pain and then the the pain can be over quite quickly. Mm-hmm. This means that we can actually allow the pain to come to an end.
0: Mm, right, By resisting right. it
1: we, we basically push it away but then it increases just it yeah. within our heart. Chakra. Yes.
0: Yeah, I've seen that I've seen that with somebody very close to me who has resisted a lot of their emotional pain and it's just gotten out of hand for them. Well tell us a little bit about the human mm. greatness. And what is its mission?
1: Oh, the, the human greatness is, is basically a conviction that we are not meant to be uh, materialistic beings or heavenly beings as in uh, completely spiritual, completely remote. One of one of my greatest missions uh, in life this is this what I feel is to help uh, spiritual people who are willing to go through this opening process to feel that, that they, they are also uh, empowered, that that they can actually embrace life's challenge and uh, be uh, active citizens and contributing citizens in the world. The the whole vision is to bring our enlightenment, the knowledge of our consciousness and limitlessness of being into an embodiment that is fearless, that is capable of embracing the entire human experience with all its dimensions. So that is the mission and that is the vision, but of course this is translated into creating as many systems as possible. The heart system, the heart pathway is only one of them. Within the context of the heart, this is exemplified very clearly because it's all about proving to our being, to our mind, that our heart can be a source of empowerment. It is not just a delicate flower.
0: Yeah, I know. I get that. I get that very much. What a wonderful mission. So are you traveling (laughs) to the U.S.? Are you planning to do any other events or programs that you'd like to share with us? Any final words you'd like to offer?
1: Well, traveling to the U.S. is not a part of my plan currently because I'm highly occupied with with Europe. That's also a big continent right now, so it's very busy here. But right now, the the next book that I'm working on, again, for an American publisher, is called The 7-Day Chakra Path. And The 7-Day Chakra Path basically teaches us that we can actually leave our seven chakras, one chakra a, a day, and in this way move through the entire continuum of our seven chakras each week. So that is a, a sort of a path. For example, today we are talking how beautifully we are talking on the Heart Chakra Day. So that is really beautiful to focus on uh, on heart opening. So this is a way to make our chakras a, a livable path, a livable experience that can also transform eventually our entire consciousness as a a whole and enable us to embrace all the seven dimensions of our being.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, congratulations to that, and it just seems like you're in such a good place for you, and we can only keep wishing you all the very best in everything that you do.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you so much for your presence.
0: Thank you, Shai. Take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye. So Shai gave us so much, everyone. That was Shai Dubali and you can get information on his website called shaitubali.com. S-H-A-I-T-U-B-A-L-I. And if you're in Germany or in Berlin, definitely go and look him up or go to his website for more information. So lots of tools. Lots of tools and, and lots of takeaways in which you can help to kind of move the heart forward and you know really align your chakra systems and, again, you know focus on your intentionality and your thoughts that are going on behind your head, which tends to be the biggest issue. But anyway, I'm going to bring the show to a close because I want you to always remember no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And you and I both know this. We really are all here to love each other the same. Here is Om Shanti Om by Elizabeth Padilla. Take care.
2: man can bring such happiness